0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is taken from the reading we just heard in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Almighty Father, we we give you great praise. That by your grace, you have gathered us to be in this place where we might hear your word and receive your gifts. Lord, we pray that you would continue to keep us humble before you reminding us always that we belong to you, that we were bought with the precious blood of Christ. Have mercy on us this day and grant us your Holy Spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm working through a, uh, a fascinating little book uh, right now that I, I'm not done with, so I can't be sure if I'm going to fully recommend it to you, but it's a pretty good book so far. The, the title of the book is You are not your own. It's a book by a guy named Alan Noble. And and what Alan Noble is trying to demonstrate is that right now in our culture, in our society, we've kind of been poisoned by this mentality that says this. Here's the mantra, he says, that we all believe. And he says this mantra is kind of poisoning the way we view our lives in the world. And this is what we believe in this culture. He says, we all believe this phrase. I am my own and I belong to myself. I am my own. I belong to myself. And what he's demonstrating so far as I'm reading through this book, what he's demonstrating is how in our society, the entire culture has built up systems to reinforce this idea. Our schools, our media, our commercial uh, organizations, all of the things, even our government's kind of uh, organized around this idea that I am my own and I belong to myself. What that means is, is that nobody can tell me who I am. Nobody else can tell me what to do. And no one else tells me where I belong. I belong to myself, so I decide where I belong. And what Noble wants to demonstrate is how this mentality is so dangerous. Because though it sounds like freedom, though it sounds like autonomy, autonomy meaning I am a law to myself, though it sounds so wonderful, he says the reality is, is that when you think this way, it is going to crush you. It is a crushing mentality. Because if I am my own and I belong to myself, that means that my success, my happiness, uh, my place in this world, where I belong, all of that depends on me. And now the weight of the world is on my shoulder. I've got to figure everything out and it depends on me. I can't depend on anyone else. After all, I am my own. I belong to myself. And because we can't actually live autonomously like that, because we can't actually sort of function in that way in any real sense, to prove to ourselves that we are our own and we belong to ourselves, we're constantly trying to justify our existence and justify ourselves to everybody around us. We're trying to prove constantly to the world that I am my own, I belong to myself, I decide where I belong, and I'm pulling it off. I've got it all figured out. And so we work like crazy to justify ourselves to the world, to get to that position we believe we deserve, to find the success that we believe is rightfully ours. We work tirelessly, and it is crushing so many of us. We're overwhelmed, and we're dying because of our overwork. The flip side is there are those who are overworking and showing themselves off to the world and everyone looks at them and says, now that's the ideal. That's how I find success. That's how I get to where I want to belong. But we also look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, I'm not pulling it off. And so we put on this facade We get on social media. We we stay off of social media. We we find some way to, to boast of ourselves to everyone else to show that we are actually arriving at where we think we need to be the whole time knowing that we're lying, that we're not what we think we should be. We're not where we belong. And what this is doing to us is it's causing us a great deal of anxiety, a great deal of depression, a great deal of sorrow, because we just can't seem to be who we think we are. We can't seem to arrive at where we think we belong. I am my own and I belong to myself is not good news. Further, not only is this stuff suffocating us and crushing us, it's doing so for a reason. Because, Noble will point out, we weren't designed to think that way. We weren't created to believe that way. And just notice how such a mentality is completely counter to the way God designed us. God designed us to trust him for all things, to belong to him, and then to love our neighbors as ourselves. But this mentality, I am my own and I belong to myself, is completely faithless and completely loveless. It's faithless because it takes all authority away from the God and creator of all things, the one who made us. And further, it denies the gospel, the gospel which says, according to St. Paul, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Now, once we remove that, once we remove God's gracious creation of us and God's gracious salvation of us, then suddenly, and, and all we're doing is for ourselves, suddenly we're not loving anybody around us anymore I. We find ourselves only loving and caring for our neighbors so long as they help me achieve who I want to be. I'll only give to them if in so doing, it's going to benefit me in some way. So I'll do good and kind and loving things so long as it helps me, you know, get a better scholarship, get a raise at work, have a really sweet selfie that makes me look philanthropic on Instagram. What matters though in all of this is not my neighbor, but me. What matters is my status. What matters is me justifying myself by living my best life now. And if you want to get in my way then I don't need to take care of you anymore. I don't need to love you anymore. I don't need you around anymore. You're a hindrance to me. I am my own. I belong to myself. And I decide where I belong. This mentality is crushing us. But it's interesting today. As we come to this parable from Jesus, this fascinating teaching from Jesus, I think his teaching today actually speaks to us in this mentality. And I, and I think his teaching, obviously, it's from Jesus, can be helpful for us. Because Jesus is dealing with people today in our reading who also have this mentality that says they get to decide where they belong. Now, he's talking to Pharisees, that is, of the, uh, the religious elite of the culture. And their cultural context is very different. And their mentality is somewhat different. And though they don't think exactly like we do, the Pharisees did love this idea of getting to decide where they belong. They wanted to be up front. They wanted to be above everyone else. They wanted to be first. And so they worked hard with their religion and their morality to prove how much more important they were than everyone else around them. Because they loved status, They loved accolades. They loved to be first. Jesus said this, this to the Pharisees, describing the way they thought earlier in the Gospel of Luke when he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and you love the greetings in the marketplace. You love to have a good reputation. You love to have a high status. You love fame and popularity and notoriety. You love these things and you work for these things, Jesus said. And that means that if you're working for those things, you have to leave behind people that God has called you to love. You have to leave behind people who might get in your way or solely your reputation or prevent you from being everything you want to be. The Pharisees did not have the mentality that said, I am my own, I belong to me. But they did think, I decide where I belong and you need to stay out of my way in getting there. Which meant, of course, they were just as faithless and just as loveless. They trusted their own achievements for their own status, and they wouldn't associate with anyone beneath them who might make them look less holy and ruin their reputation. So it's into this sort of selfish mess of a world that we have that Jesus shows up. Now think about Jesus in in contrast to all of us. Jesus, who actually is first. Jesus, who actually does alone deserve all glory, honor, and praise. Jesus, who does not, in fact, belong to anyone, because he is God over everyone. And yet, though being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but laid aside his glory and took on the very form of a servant, St. Paul tells us in Philippians. Jesus, who belongs to no one, but gives himself freely and graciously to everyone he comes into contact with. Really, graciously and freely to the whole world. This Jesus shows up on the scene. And he finds himself invited to a dinner uh, at the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. He's invited to a dinner to be surrounded by sort of the who's who of Pharisaical Judaism. And so, you might say, the Lord humbles himself to be seen at a table with these proud sinners. And as Luke tells us, these proud sinners who are all looking for a reason to kill him. Jesus decides, oh, sounds like a, those are fun people to, to spend my Sabbath. So he goes to the dinner. Now, you need to know this about Jesus. If you're going to invite Jesus over for dinner... He's going to show up and he's going to bring a lot of people with him that you don't really want there. He's going to bring a lot of people with him that you're not comfortable with who might ruin your reputation. Uh, People who, if you have to spend all of your time helping them and taking care of them, it's really going to get in the way of you uh, sort of achieving your goals. People who will require more out of you than they can give to you. Jesus always shows up with people like this. So there they are at the big, uh, famous, popular house of these Pharisees. And a man with dropsy shows, and interrupts the whole meal. Jesus sees the man, looks upon him, and heals him. Now, there's a lot going on in this text. There's a lot going on in this healing, and we're not going to be able to get into all of it here today. But I do just want to point out really quickly uh, that Jesus healed this man with dropsy on the Sabbath day, which, in the minds of the Pharisees and their very legalistic mentality, was against the rules. And so Jesus is in a house where people are looking for a reason to kill him and he keeps giving them something. He gives them a reason. He breaks their regulations. But that's not what I want you to pay too close attention to today. Here's what I want you to notice and here's the question I want you to ask. This man with dropsy shows up, and no one else helped him. No one else did anything for him. No one else showed him any compassion. No one else cared for him at that meal. And the question you need to ask yourself is, is why? Why was Jesus the only one to help him? Why did no one else do anything for the man? Well, perhaps it's because they were all too interested in getting to the seat of honor. Perhaps they didn't want to see him. Maybe they didn't want to be burdened by his needs. Maybe they were all too caught up in their own self-realization projects to see this person in need. Maybe they were all so busy trying to get everybody else to pay attention to them that they didn't have the time to notice this man suffering in their midst. Maybe, I fear, we are just like them. Too busy looking at our own selves and our own phones to see the people around us. And... But Jesus sees them. Jesus loves them. Jesus can't get enough of the guy. And so Jesus has compassion and brings joy to this man's life. And Jesus heals him and sends him away free. And then Jesus looks and he sees the pride in the room. The pride among these Pharisees that allowed this man to suffer. And so he tells them a parable to expose this pride. He says this, When you were invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. A couple things I want you to notice here. First, something not to notice here. Jesus is not giving you instructions on how you should find a seat at a wedding party. Okay? This is a parable. And so Jesus is doing something else. He's talking to us about our pride. Now the first thing I want you to notice in the parable is this. Who is the host of the party? Well, obviously, it's going to be Jesus. And he decides who sits where. And at his feast... Notice who he says is more distinguished. Notice who he pays attention to. Notice who Jesus loves when he's hosting the feast. It's the person who is ignored by everyone else. The man with drops. It's the person who is suffering and dying. Jesus sees the bruised reed that is near breaking. He sees the smoldering wick that is about to be snuffed out. He sees the sinner wallowing in guilt and shame and sorrow and pretty much at the point where they're certain that there's no hope left for them. Jesus sees the person doubting in their faith with one foot out the door of the church, barely hanging on by a thread and wondering if they're even supposed to be at the party. Jesus sees that person and he sits them in the front and he showers them with his love and he gives them the place of pride and position and everybody is celebrating and rejoicing around him. You think of the other parables of Jesus where he says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one uh, sinner who repents uh, than over a thousand who don't repent. There's there's rejoicing in heaven over this person. this, This reminds me, let me say this to you. If that's you, you're here this morning. You came to church. You actually had the guts to get out of bed and show up today, and you weren't sure you should be here at all. And you got one foot out the door, and your doubt is overcoming your faith. Jesus sees you. You're the one he's looking at today. And he is delighted that you are here. And he delights in you. And he is boasting about your presence in this place he sees you and it reminds me of these wonderful words of zephaniah and these are words he speaks to you today he says uh, uh zephaniah says he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you with his love he will exult over you with loud singing you came to church you thought you were going to sing a couple hymns and, and you know hear a boring sermon but instead here's what you're hearing maybe still a boring sermon but this That Jesus is here rejoicing over you. He's quieting you. He's exulting over you. He looks at those at the feast full of pride and self-righteousness and all these things that look so impressive to the world and he kind of ignores them, almost laughs them. But not you. He looks over you with songs of mercy, sings over you with songs of mercy and joy. He looks at the humble, the lowly, the ignored, The suffering, guilty and shamed sinner. He invites you to his table and gives you the place of honor. That's the first thing we need to know. The second thing, then, is this. And this is the part, I think, of the parable that terrifies us. And he gets us back to the beginning of the sermon. In this parable, we recognize that you are not in charge, you are not your own. You don't belong to yourself when it comes to standing in the presence of Jesus. When you come into the presence of Jesus, you have no control over the host. No one had the ability to decide where they got to sit at that party. That was the host's decision. No one said, this is where I belong. The host put them in their place. You might say they were at the mercy of the host. What you need to understand about the host is that he is not interested and promoting your self-realization projects. He's not interested in helping you gain a better status so that everyone else will like you. There are some of you here this morning who are just so overwhelmed by life and you're being crushed by everything around you. But there are others of you here this morning who are full of pride and self-righteousness, who look down on others because of your accomplishments, who set yourselves up as though you are superior, be it in your uh, political views, be it in your spiritual views, be it in your spirituality or your religion or, or whatever it is, but you come in and you think to yourself, everybody should notice just how well I'm doing. Everyone should congratulate me. And you're the one Jesus looks at today. It says you need to go sit at the end of the table. You see those people you look down on? You see those people you compare yourself with? You see those people you, you set yourself above? They got a seat prepared for you behind them. You need to go and join them at that table. See, there are some of you here today who need to be crushed (laughs) by Jesus. Killed by his law, put at the end of the table and humbled by him. In the way that only Jesus can humble. You need to understand that it's only at this point when you are humbled It's only when you're at the humble end of the table. It's only there that you're going to find Jesus. Because Jesus isn't putting himself at the front of the table. He's putting himself at the end with the rest of us. And he's not there using sinners to promote his own brand. But again, as as Paul says in Philippians, he's there setting aside his glory and taking on the form of a servant, humbling himself, and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And here's what you need to hear. It's with that death that Jesus has made you his own. It is with that shed blood on that cross poured over you in your baptism that Christ made you his own so that you are not your own. You do belong to him. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ. You were purchased not with silver or gold but with his own holy precious blood. And because God has done this for you in Christ, because Christ has accomplished this for you, Paul goes on, God gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. For Jesus who humbled you might say it this way, Jesus who humbled himself is the one who is exalted. And the one who exalts himself is the one who is humbled. What is humbling for some of us this morning Pure freedom for the rest of us. This promise. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You do not control your destiny. You don't decide where you belong in the kingdom of God. You don't get to pick where you sit at the table. Jesus does. But trust me. Though it came at great cost to him, he does have a seat prepared for you. This is the good news you belong to him amen we pray we thank you heavenly father for your dear son jesus that we belong to you that we are not our own we pray o oh god that you would remove from us all pride and selfishness that you would destroy and shatter all self-righteousness that you would kill the sin inside of us that we might be humbled and raised to a new life Jesus, we thank you that you humbled yourself between two thieves, died in our place, and rose for our salvation. Keep our faith ever renewed. In your name we pray. Amen.